Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. I'm John Lovett, and you're listening to Crooked Conversations, a show where we do a deep dive on some of the biggest stories that we don't cover enough or talk about enough. You know, because we're all busy, frankly. We're very excited about this week's conversation. The host of Majority 54, Jason Kander, talks to Richard Trumka, the president of the AFL-CIO. It's the largest federation of unions in the United States. We've talked a lot about the importance of unions and what we need to do to organize. And so this is a really necessary and interesting conversation. They recorded this live at an event in Kansas City and talked about the importance of unions, challenges that unions are facing now, and how collective action has increased over the past couple of years to help working people. It's a great and important conversation. So take a listen. The folks in this room, I mean, we're in, a, we're in a union hall. The folks in this room know the answer to this question I'm going to ask. But we're recording this, and it's going to be listened to people all over the country during their commutes and that sort of thing. And, and earlier, you and I were talking about how a, a large part of the audience for this show is, is millennials. And a lot of them, they, they support unions, but they don't completely, I think, in a lot of cases, understand the role of unions because maybe they haven't had direct uh, interactions with them. So I'm going to, a real simple question. What is a union? And what is the AFL-CIO? Sure. Uh, I'm going to answer that question, Jason, uh, by first telling you a story. Uh, My son was about uh, four years old at the time, and we were in the backyard. uh, And he had one of those little motorized Jeeps. And him and his buddy were riding around in the back. And I was on the phone talking to somebody about the union, and he heard me say that. And so he pulls up in the Jeep. And he said, Dad, what's a union? And I said to him, there's a little hill there. I said, both of you get out of the Jeep. I said, Rich, push that Jeep up the hill. And he'd push it up a little bit and he'd slide and he'd slide backwards and he'd push it up a little bit and slide backwards and he finally gives up. And his buddy Chad was with him. I said, Chad, now you help him. And the two grunt a little bit, but they get the Jeep to the top of the hill. And I said, son, that's what a union is. It allows people to come together to do things together that they can't do individually. That's a union. Yeah, that's pretty good. And the Hill is the boss. Yeah, and the Federation, (laughs) we are sort of an association of unions. We have 55 international unions. We have about 13 million members. Uh, We're organizing a lot. We organized 262,000 new members last year, which is a good thing. And 75% of those members were under the age of 35. Young people are starting to get it more and more and more. Uh, They're coming along and saying, look, this economy isn't working for us. So how do we change it? We change it by coming together with our fellow workers getting the ability to bargain collectively so we can get a fair share of the wealth that we produce. And I just gotta say this, remember, we're the richest nation 
on the face of the earth at our most rich point in time. There is no reason why we can't have good wages, quality health care, and a decent pension for every single American out there. So, your, your job now, it, it ain't easy. I mean, you're, we were talking earlier, you're traveling all the time. You get vilified by folks sometimes on TV and, and in, uh, in other places. Uh, I would imagine sometimes a person there yelling at you. Um, it ain't easy. Why do you do this? Like, why does Richard Trump could do this? What drives you every day to do this? You know, uh, when I was growing up, uh, in that little town that I told you about, Nemecol, and uh, I got to see things pretty up close. Uh, there was a group of people that were fighting to provide a safer workplace, provide better wages, provide better benefits, so that my dad could have a vacation, uh, I could go on vacation with him. And I saw a company that had virtually all the power because it owned the town. It owned everything in the town but two things, the Catholic Church and the Union Hall. That was the only two things it didn't uh, own. And I looked around and said, we need to make massive social change. And I thought the only thing, after studying it, thinking about it, talking to people, the only group that has the ability to make social change on the scale that we need to make it is the labor movement. And I said, I want to fight for working people. And I was fortunate enough that uh, the United Mine Workers uh, sent me to college. I worked day, midnight shift in the mine, went to school in the daytime, and then they sent me to law school. I did the same thing, worked six months and six months and started the fight. And I can tell you, when I started 50 years ago in the labor movement, I'm still fighting some of the same fights that I was fighting back then. Safe and a healthy place to work, fair wages, decent health care, decent pension, quality public education, so that every kid in the country yeah. can have a, an education. And I know, I know in my heart that uh, the labor movement and workers coming together to help workers is the best way to do it. And that's why uh, I get up every morning, I look in the mirror, and I'm never afraid to hold that razor uh, in my hand for what I've done the day before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's sort of this conventional wisdom out there that, that's set in that, that a lot of union households uh, really relate, they say, to President Trump. When you turn on cable news, that's what they'll say. They'll, they'll refer somehow to, to union members as Trump voters often. Do you feel like that is a fair characterization? Can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, these sure. are your members. Yeah, well, first let me give you the facts. Yeah. Uh, in the last election, uh, union members voted four percentage points more for Donald Trump than they did for Mitt Romney. Uh, unfortunately, they voted 10%, 10 percentage points less for Hillary Clinton than they did Barack Obama. Uh, what you saw is, is the beginning of society demanding change to the economy. And let me go back and just elaborate on it just a bit, if you don't mind. 
for about four decades or five decades, uh, our salary and our wages have been flat. Uh, the, the link between productivity and wages has been broken. And right now, most of the increase in productivity goes to the top 1%. So people are seeing an economy that doesn't work for them. Now, what effect is that having? Uh, Harvard did a study last year of millennials. They asked people uh, that were born in 1980 and after what they, how important it was for them to live in a democracy. And 30% of millennials said it's important to live in a democracy. 70% said it's not important to live in a democracy. And 24% of those said it's bad to live in a democracy. So you, it, it, when you first hear that, it's near shocking. Jarring, it yeah. causes you to recoil. But when you do a little more analysis, this is the first generation that's lived their entire lives under the rules of globalization. They've seen their parents' wages cut. They've seen their health care cut. They've seen their pension slashed. They've probably even seen their, some of their parents lose homes. Uh, and they're told, but, but don't worry about it. It's okay. If you study, it'll be good for you. So they study. They go to school. They get a college education. They come out with a mountain of debt. They can't find a job. Some of them have to move back home with their parents. So they start to equate democracy with low wages, poverty, and insecurity. That's after one generation. So what we saw in the last election with Donald Trump was they wanted someone who they believed was going to change the rules of the economy. And Donald Trump talked a good game in a lot of instances. He told them what they wanted. Now, he didn't deliver on it, and all the rules he's changed so far have been bad, with a, a few exceptions, uh, but they're trying to change the rules, and that's going to be the mantra in the future. They're going to look for people who are going to stand up and fight for them. So if you're uh, running for office out there, here's my advice to you. Stick to kitchen table economics. What are you going to do to help people with their wages, with their health care, with their pension, with their school district, with their retirement? You could talk about the other issues later, but if they don't believe that you are going to fight to change the rules to help them, you'll have an uphill battle. I can promise you that. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I feel like, you know, here, particularly in the middle of the country, I feel like oftentimes what we have sometimes, well, sometimes what we've missed is just that voters think about about four things when they think about what they want for their family. They want their family to be happy, to be healthy, to be safe, and to be nearby. And to me, what the union can provide, what the Democratic Party can provide, is something we should be talking about more. All those things you listed, they all can speak to an anxiety that all of us have, which is that our kids might have to leave in order to find success. We, we just want them to be able to stay in the hometowns where we've raised them if they choose to in order to find success. And the way I know this is that my son's four and a half, and when I think about the possibility of him going off to college, I think about how surprised he'll be to find out that I'm gonna go with him. And, <laughs> and I just think, I think that that's a big pressure, a big, a big stress that we all have in the middle of the country that, that 
it doesn't always get talked about. And uh, I think that's what you're talking about, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, when I was uh, president of my workers, uh, we had a lot of layoffs going on. And we were trying real hard uh, to help all of our, our members and their families with, with the layoffs. Uh, and a group of people came in and said, we want to train your members to be computer programmers. And I said, that's great, but tell me where the computer programming jobs are. You know, my members lived in Appalachia. They lived in small t rural town, uh, and they had roots there. They had family there, and they weren't itching to pull up stakes and move to Los Angeles uh, overnight. They were going to stay where their family was, where their life was, and the place they love. Home. Called home, right. Yeah. And uh, so I said, it does me no good to have an unemployed coal miner who now becomes an unemployed computer programmer right. who helped me get jobs here or help me train them for jobs that are here because yeah. that's what they want. And quite frankly, you know, one of the best kept secrets in the United States is that other than the military, the, the, the labor movement in the United States trains more people every year than anybody else other than the military. Yeah. Yeah. And, and oftentimes they're training folks who just came out of the military as well. We have a special program for yeah. that called Helmets to Hard Hats. Yeah. We bring people coming out of the military, we bring them into our apprenticeship program. If they can't pass the entrance exam, we give them remedial courses so they can. They get paid a decent living wage while they're in the apprenticeship program. And then when they become a journey person, journeyman, they make really good wages and it's a career. And every two or three years, we bring them back in, retrain them on the newest methods, the newest skills, so that they are the best skilled people out there. Our building trades people are second to none in the world. People from around the world come and ask us to train them. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an important point because it's amazing. Like when I was in the state legislature, I remember that the Republicans would try and find every possible excuse to get rid of prevailing wage, the, you know, the law that requires you pay a certain wage for, for projects. And I remember when the Joplin tornado happened, they thought that was their opportunity. They were going to get rid of prevailing wage to do things like building schools in order, uh, you know, and they said, well, we got to do this in order to rebuild Joplin. And I remember thinking, you know, if it's a choice between people who are getting paid a decent wage because they're union, people who are getting, not getting paid much at all because they're less skilled, to build a school where we put our kids, is that really a good excuse for you to get rid of prevailing wage or should we maybe put our kids in a building where we feel real good that it ain't going to fall in on it? It just really. made no sense to me. You know, when you think about prevailing wage, uh, Republicans should remember that it's called the Davis-Bacon law. Right. Davis was a Republican, Bacon was a Republican, and it was signed by a Republican president. And do you know why? Because American people said their tax dollars shouldn't be used to drive down their wages in a community. So prevailing wage says when the government comes in to a community in order to, if it's going to build something or buy something, it has to pay the wages that are prevailing in that community so that our tax dollars 
don't drive our wages down. Race it purpose. was sound then, and it's sound law now. Yeah. And, and it kind of, it's funny because it goes to not just, not just the idea of a, of a public project like that, not just the idea of a building trades project, but this whole idea, I mean, there are public uh, sector employees who are members of the AFL-CIO, this whole idea that it doesn't matter who builds things with tax dollars or it doesn't matter who does jobs paid by tax dollars is this new Republican idea. Like, I think it matters who's trying to get, like, poison out of the water. I want, like, a good scientist. I don't want, like, a bad one, right? So, yeah, I'm going off on a tangent, but the race to the bottom don't make sense. But, but you're right. It does matter. Yeah. It does matter if we use tax dollars uh, in the stimulus program we had. Right. We said you ought to buy products that are made in the United States so we're stimulating our economy. But we had people, governors, that were buying steel, aluminum, rubber, things that were made in other countries and using our stimulus dollars to stimulate their economy <laughs> instead of ours. And I thought we're using our own tax dollars against us. It makes no sense whatsoever. You're listening to Jason Kander in conversation with Richard Trumka on the importance of unions. This is Crooked Conversations. More after the break. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Postmates. Oh, nice to hear from you, Postmates. As usual, your stomach and the rest of your life are at war. What? (laughs) Don't I know it? You know? Yikes. I'm just saying. What my stomach wants is bad. You know, it wants cheeseburgers and tacos and loneliness. The stomach wants what it wants. Mm. You need to eat, but you can't stop what you're doing to deal with it. (laughs) Okay. And the only fast things that deliver... I don't know about motorbikes. You need to eat, but you can't stop what you're doing to deal with it. And the only fast things to deliver are not what you want. Introducing Postmates, the app that adds delivery option to your favorite restaurants. Imagine anything you want to eat delivered. You don't have to drive, park, or even talk on the phone to order. Oh, what a relief. Just download the app and order 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Postmates will bring you what you want within the hour. You can even see where your food is and track your driver. You forgot to get eggs and milk? No problem. No fucking problem. What? No problem. <laughs> Craving a tasty burger? Check mate. <laughs> I'm getting Postmates tonight. I Looking Postmates for the perfect... <laughs> oh, that's sad. It's the but best. great. Looking for the perfect Breakfast, bottle of lunch, red dinner. wine or a summer beer? Order up. Postmates is your new long-term munchies. Nope. 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 <clears throat> I, want you to, I want you to know what it said here. Tell me what it said. It said, Postmates is your new long-term munchies booty call. Oh, my God. I heard that somewhere else, yeah. For a limited time, Postmates is giving what? you one what, of, what a weird thing to say. The tone of Tommy's voice. I heard that on another podcast. Yeah, it was that, tr- I found it troubling. That I wanted to email Maddie, go- our friend at Postmates, and say, what the heck is that all about? That kind of thing's going we're, we're around. Not gonna, we're, not, we're not doing Postmates and chill. We're not doing Postmates booty call. I think we are. Postmates is giving you $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. $100, take it. To start your free deliveries, download the app today and use the code CROOKEDCONVOS. That's the code CROOKEDCONVOS for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. In other words, you got to use it or lose it, you know, but you got to do it. We all use Postmates. We love Postmates. Postmates things all the time. It's the best. You need a Postmates thing? You need a Postmates something? you, You need something, you Postmates it. Save the hassle, get the food you love fast at Postmates with the code Crooked Convos. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Quip. Oh, interesting. Quip is an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes. 
while still packing just the right amount of vibrations to help clean your teeth. Quip's built-in timer helps you clean for the dentist-recommended two minutes with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. Normally, John and Tommy would be joking around and joshing it up, but they're not because Trump just picked someone named Kavanaugh, who is a real bad news fella. So they're all in their phones. You know, like, that's going to fix it. Quip subscription plan or for your health, not just convenience. (sighs) They deliver new brush heads on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. With Quip, you don't have to worry about getting new brush heads or toothpaste. They're delivered right to your door on schedule, so you replace your brush on time and have better oral hygiene at an affordable price with the sleekest design you've ever seen for an electric toothbrush. And finally, everyone loves Quip. They're on Oprah's O-List. (laughs) <laughs> that's you usually <laughs> see that's all I wanted that's a really good impression that's a good one? that was amazing uh, really good. wow I nailed it I've been working on it for weeks it was named one of time's best inventions and the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the American Dental Association Quip starts at just $25 and if you go to getquip.com slash crooked convos right now you'll get your first refill pack free with Quip electric toothbrush that's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash crooked convos G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash crooked convos. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Okay, so I have a question that may actually be really difficult. Because it's a hard choice, I bet. What is the worst thing that President Trump has done so far when it comes to American workers? Yeah. Well, I, I haven't checked. We keep a running list. Uh, and I also, haven't we haven't, I don't know, I haven't checked Twitter since we got in here either. So it, it could be a new thing. I don't yeah, know. I, I mean, we keep a running list, and I yeah. haven't checked in the last 15 or 20 minutes. So it's difficult <laughs> yeah. for, for me to do that. But, you know, let me just tell you this on, on, on a personal level, okay? Uh, you mentioned that I'm a, a third-generation miner. Both of my grandfathers, my dad and both of his brothers, five of my uncles, and a number of my cousins all died from black lung disease, uh, a disease that's totally unnecessary. And when I see the president come in and try to lessen uh, health and safety inspections at OSHA or MSHA, when I see him uh, blocking dust standards that we've fought for for years to get. When I see him overturning overtime uh, rules that will prevent five million people from getting overtime, when I see him block a fiduciary rule that says that when people give you financial advice, they have to do it in your interest, not their interest. Uh, I I just, I wanna, for a second, like in case anybody missed it, Literally saying, let's not have a rule that says the financial advice you get is good for you. No, it's worse than that. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. We had a rule that said, right. if they give you financial advice, it has to be in your financial interest, not theirs. I mean... And he overturned that. That's clearly just awful liberal stuff, right? The idea that it's got to be in your interest. Not, I'm, I'm being facetious. Yeah. 
I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah, it's... I, I couldn't come up here and say, you know what he did now. <laughs> yeah. I, and every time I think I figured it out, well, <laughs> another one crops up. And I... Well, speaking of which, you've, my you, you've met in the White House with President Trump. You've, you also met in the past with President Obama. Would you describe their styles as similar? <laughs> to kind of put us in the room. What, how is it different meeting with the two of them? <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, President Obama <laughs> was uh, steeped in, in policy. When, when he came to talk to you about a policy issue, he knew everything about it. Top to bottom, inside and out. You couldn't stump him with a question. I mean, he, he knew what he was talking about. And he was going to try to push you on it. Uh, and we would push back when it didn't work for us and, and would tell him that. Uh, he was... I wouldn't characterize him on a personal basis as warm and fuzzy. He was, he was matter of fact and, and businesslike, but he wasn't warm and fuzzy. Uh, Trump, I mean, I, I, I had a friend that I, I, I'll tell you this story because I think it probably capturizes things. Uh, I had a, a friend in West Virginia who was the president of a district, and I had been down there trying a case at the time and there were two desks, one desk in front, one desk in back, and the guy's name, I won't tell you their name because they're both still alive, but the guy in the front, everybody would come in, no matter what they, he asked, he would say, you have to ask Daryl, the guy in the second desk. <laughs> it was his job, he was the you gotta ask yeah, Daryl guy. You have to ask Daryl. What time is it? You have to ask Daryl. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, after watching this for two weeks, I say to the district president, his name's Jack, I said, you know, X doesn't know a lot, does he, Jack? <laughs> and Jack looked at me and he goes, X doesn't even suspect a lot. <laughs> now, I think there's something to be said. <laughs> Uh, about that story. I think I know which desk President <laughs> Trump sits at. Uh, <laughs> I like but, that. But I got to tell you this, he is, uh, he's engaging. He, he's, uh, he doesn't like personal conflict when it's face-to-face. -face. He does not, does not like that. And uh, so it's, sometimes it'll be a, a interesting conversation. Like you feel like, doesn't like personal conflict, so it's, really, really wants to say to you what he thinks you want to hear, but you have no sense of whether he can back that up or stick with it sort of thing. I'm sorry? Is it sort of like he, he wants so badly to avoid personal conflict that he just wants you to leave happy and you don't maybe know whether or not what he said is going to stick? Yeah, well, and it, there's a... a I'm get, I, I, this is what I suspect. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a bit of inconsistency, too, from day to day and policy to policy. Yeah. There's a, there's a, yeah. a, a little... Just a little bit little of inconsistency, bit of yeah. Yes. It's a little bit hot in, in Missouri in the, in the summer. Just a little. <laughs> Same kind yeah. of little. Um, well, but, but he is going to do a space program that hey. lets us land on the sun. <laughs> I am concerned that uh, after this conversation, we're both going to get drafted into it. I don't know. <laughs>
Uh, it, it, if the mics go off, you'll know that he's listening. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Perhaps we will conduct the rest of this in Russian. Um, if, uh, <laughs> if, then they'll be like, continue. Um, if you could make Congress pass one bill for working families, what would it be? You know, that's impossible to answer because... You can pick two. <laughs> <laughs> you know, anything, we need a series of laws that start to reverse the rules of the global economy. Because look, here's something that I, I, I tell people all along. For, for decades, they've tried to make us believe that the economy's like the weather, that there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. But the economy isn't like the weather. The economy is nothing but a set of rules. And those rules decide the winners and the losers, and those rules are made by the men and women that we elect. Yeah. And quite frankly, for the last four or five generations, those rules have been decided for workers to lose and the rich to win. And they've been successful at it. So you would have to reverse a series of things. You would have to make it easier for people, workers to come together uh, and, and have uh, a, a voice on the job and in the community. Uh, you'd have to change the tax laws so that they didn't reward people for sending jobs overseas, but they rewarded people for making things and building things and bringing them here. You know, the the, the uh, trade laws. I mean, what we've seen over the past uh, four or five decades is these, though what was passed and called trade laws really weren't trade laws. They were attempts to prevent us, the world, from regulating global capital. So what they would do is they would write a, a law saying, it's a trade law, nobody can regulate capital this way or nobody can regulate capital that way, but they weren't really about trade laws, so you have to change those. You have uh, infrastructure right now disintegrating. Uh, the greatest generation, my parents' generation, gave us the best infrastructure in the world. We're about 17 right now. The Society of Civil Engineers uh, give us a D plus in, in, in uh, infrastructure. We need to change that. We need about $3 trillion to do the old stuff and make it new, and the new stuff that we need to get ahead. And so there's a series of things that have to be passed, and there's just not one magic bullet or magic wand that you could wave at one time and it would correct what they've done to rewrite the rules. That's what we have to do in all facets of things and have the beneficiary be the working people of this country and not the rich. Rich yeah. have done fine, they'll do fine. Uh, as you've gotten around the country and done the work that you do for the AFL-CIO, you've also gotten a pretty good look, not just the labor movement, but at the resistance. And you've been doing this for a while. You, were, you became president of the Mine Workers Union in 82. You became president of AFL-CIO in, in 09, right? And now you look at this movement that's going on around the country, that the labor movement and others are really at the center of, do you, how is it different to you, what you see going on in the country right now? How does it feel different or maybe the same? Well, it feels really good. And I'm mm -hmm. really, I'm more optimistic right now than I've been in 
in a lot of years because what we see is collective action is on the rise. And, and let me go back and tee that up economically so you can put it in a frame. Uh, we've seen for four or five decades uh, that uh, the economy hasn't been working for working people. Our wages are flat, less health care, less pension, uh, a lot of things, even though the wealth of the countries continue to grow to the point where we are the richest nation on the face of the earth at our most rich point in time. And then when you, when you add to that what's coming down the road uh, you, with technology, artificial intelligence, robotics, you're going to see that gap. Uh, it could exacerbate that. Mm -hmm. And people are, are starting to look for a change. And they've decided, rightfully so, that the best way for them to get change is to join with their fellow workers and their neighbors and to demand change. And then to get the people that won't, won't do change or they do it in the opposite direction and make them unemployed. They've made us unemployed. It's our turn to make them unemployed. So get that done. And, and, and and for the record, I just you're talking about politicians. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to be clear. We're not talking about anybody else's jobs, but politicians who have done wrong. Correct. I don't want Breitbart writing some weird thing. You know, well, you, just clearing you stuff it, up. You hit it right on the head. Right. People said you were born at night. They didn't say last night. <laughs> That's right. It was three or four nights ago. Yeah. So, I mean, and then, so you're starting to see people come to that conclusion. And what do you see? And well, you see teachers going on strike to, to save their profession, to save their wages, to save the kids. And these are in red states. You see the, the Me Too movement, where women are fed up with being abused and having to take yep. the crap that they've had to take for all those yep. years. You see Black Lives Matter coming together, where people are saying enough is enough. You see, you see uh, young adults coming together to fight against violence that they see perpetrated against them in their schools and, and other places. And you see young people, old people in the north, the south, the east, and the west that are joining unions in, in record numbers again because they understand that the only way they're going to do this is to join together with their neighbors so that they have greater strength. And I'll take you back to that story that I talked about at my, with my son. Unions allow us to do together what we can't do alone. And that's what they're starting to see right now. Well said. Thank you, Mr. President, for being here with us in St. Louis. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, y'all. Look, you've made it this far, so that means you know that that was a fantastic conversation with Jason Kandor, host of Majority 54, and Richard Trumka, the president of the AFL-CIO. Check back next week for another great conversation hosted by, you know, you'll have to find out, you know, I'm not going to tell you everything. End of episode.
It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.